What you see is what you get. That is a very popular saying, which basically means if you look at something at face value, that's what you get. There's no surprises. But in today's age, it's obvious that there is a new rule that has taken what you see is what you get and changed it a little bit. Now it would probably be a little bit more of what you think you see is what you get. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever heard the term perception is 100% reality? Perception is 100% reality. What does that mean? That means that when we see something, whatever that is, how we interpret it means it must be truth. For example, if you believe everything that's on the Internet, you would be believing perceptions. If you believed everything that was on every news channel, the way that it is communicated, you would be believing perception. And as we deal with this, in perception, it doesn't matter what actually happened. It is what people perceive happened. And, and if you want a big lesson in this, we are about to run into it as we see the primaries for the presidential election coming soon. And there's going to be nothing but political programs and, and advertisements on TV. And they are going to be slinging mud everywhere, just hoping that somewhere along the way something sticks. And they will find things that are that have been in legislature where there, uh, someone has passed a bill that has nothing to do with this, but they found one little sentence, and they will blow it up and they'll say, look, your candidate did this, or the, the opposing candidate did that, because they are trying to build a perception. They're trying to, to make it, uh, just throw mud to it and make it stick. And talking about perception, um, Back, you know, in the, the earlier days, like in the 50s and 60s, I think it was cool to maybe have, if you were a guy, to have uh, the white T-shirts, is that right? And the, and the cigarettes rolled up in your sleeve and, and, and your hair greased back. Was that the way they did it? And the women had the poodle skirts, right? And then by the time we get to the 80s, it was ashen-washed jeans and the hair as big as possible, Right? Those are great days. And then, like, in the 90s up to the day, it used to be, like, I don't know about the girls, but I know guys, it was like you had to have ripped jeans and flannel shirts. I mean, that was the way to dress. And so what caused that? It was the billions of dollars that went into advertisers telling you, if you use this product, all of your answers, all of your questions will be answered. That's like they were doing an interview. You remember that show? Uh, Happy Days? Oh, yeah, that was a great show. There was a character on there named Chachi. That's not Greek for something. I mean, that, just, that was his name, Chachi. And he was like the love interest of the Cunningham girl. And so they were, doing, they were interviewing them about making the show. And they actually had a show to where he took a regular bandana, you know, like the, the red bandanas you put on your hair, and, and he wrapped it around his leg and tied it in a knot. You want to know why they did that? Just to see if it would catch on. Because they wanted to change the perception that having a bandana on your leg was cool. And after that, everybody had a bandana on 
our leg. They were changing perception. And so as we come to our message today, we see that our perception will play a lot in how we view life. What goes into our perceptions? Well, it's our backgrounds. It's, it's our upbringing. It is those things that happen to us in our lives. It's our, our strengths and our weaknesses. All of those go into our perception and how we see our world. But to some in here today, your glass may be half empty. To some, your glass might be half full. You know, sometimes we have a positive outlook on things, and sometimes we have a negative look on things. But we can both have positive and negative perceptions, can we not? So the question I have for you today, the life question is this. Have you ever perceived something one way only to find out it was another? If you've ever gone to middle school, you've probably seen that happen, right? Have, thank you, Ross. Have you ever perceived something one way to only to find out that it was another? Man, I'll tell you what, I've done that before. And that, you know, it's, that's what they call eating crow, right? Or, you know, how does your shoe taste when you put your foot in your mouth? There are times where people think they know what's going on when actuality they don't because it's their perception. And when someone perceives something, they can go out and they can tell everybody else, and that's what the truth will be, whether it happened that way or not. Well, let me ask you this, has anyone ever had the wrong perception of you? I'm sure that's happened as well. But our perceptions are not only what we, we perceive, but it's also we are influenced by others. We are led by others. The way we see the world through the lenses of the people that we associate with. And so there is a lot of influencers today. I want to talk about the biggest influencer in culture today. You know what that is? Don't worry, I'm getting on to the Bible in just a second, but I had to set this up. The biggest influencer in Christian Christianity today and in the world today is a group. A group of people. And you know what their name is? It's not anonymous. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. I'll tell you who it is. The most influential group of people in the world today Today is the group called They. T-H-E-Y. They say this. They say that. The, the popular opinion where, where all of a sudden we are discarding biblical truth for the popularity of what a poll says on Facebook or what the news media might say that this is right and this is wrong, or, or even those in our community, those are in our circle of friends to where we say, well, the Bible says this, but, but really, come on. They say that it shouldn't be that way. When you're growing up as a teenager, you live for the they. You want to be part of the they. No one wants to stick out. They want to be included. And as you get older, you become part of they. It's ironic. We spend all of our life trying to fit in with the group, and when God is telling us we need to stand apart. The biggest influencer we have today is the group called they. And why do they try to influence us? Because they's one main goal, one main purpose, is to increase the 
the size of their group. And they will always seek to influence you because once you become a part of them, they can move on to the next person. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, I, I have seen people that have, have, have lived for Christ and they have began, uh, God has been working in their life. And I want you to understand this. When it comes to setting yourself apart from the day, any time you decide to live a righteous life, listen up here, any time you decide to live a righteous life, your obedience to God will make the other's disobedience stick out like a sore thumb. When you are obedient to God, your obedience makes their disobedience stick out. And the group of they, they don't like that. And so what they try to do is to pound you down. Well, I think I've probably set up enough of it to us to go actually into our, our passage today is that the group of they, they seek to make black and white gray. They seek to make black and white gray. Today, we will see the debilitating power of the group called they. God here gives the Israelites a clear-cut promise of a land that he has prepared for them that they can settle in. He has given it to them. He's already taken them out of slavery from Egypt. They have already been at the Red Sea and seen it split as they walk across dry land. And as they look back, they see Pharaoh and his armies, those that are trying to kill them, they see them consumed by the sea they have just crossed. But yet, here we go. They have another hurdle that they need to cross. You would think that someone who had seen those type of God moments would have no problem trusting them in this moment. Let me put this into our world, folks. God has done some amazing things in your life. It might not be a Red Sea, literally, but God has split the seas for you and made a way, if nothing else, for you to be here this morning, to be able to put your clothes on, to get in your car or somebody to pick you up and to come into the Lord's house. For some of you, that is a victory. And so, and, and I'm preaching to myself here, folks. Okay, I'm not telling you what you should do. I have to do this too. I've seen God do amazing things, but still, when I have got the, the obstacle in front of me, I tend to lose sight of what God has done in the past. Have you done that? I know I have. Well, what we see here is that Israel has reached the edge of their promised land. I mean, they are in Kadesh Barnea. They are in a wilderness area, and they are right on the line of being able to go into the promised land. And we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. And it says, the Lord spoke to Moses. That's important here. Lord, the Lord didn't spoke to, or the Lord didn't speak to they. The Lord spoke to Moses. Send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. I underline that in my Bible just because we need to remember the importance of it. God is telling them to go out and scout the very land he said he's giving them. Send one man who was a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes 
So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. All the men were leaders in Israel, and these were their names. And then verses uh, 5 through 15, it lists out a leader for each tribe. There were 12 tribes, and there are 12 leaders listed there. And then we pick back up at verse 16 where it says, These were the names of the men Moses sent to scout out the land. And this is very important. It says, Moses renamed Hosea's son of Nun to Joshua. So we have Joshua here. And then we see in verse 17, when Moses sent them to scout out the land, he told them, go up this way to the Negev, then go up to the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are the trees in or not? And then we have, be courageous. Bring back some fruit of the land. It was a season for the first of ripe grapes. They wanted to know that something good was there, even though God had already promised us that. Folks, what I want you to understand, when God makes a promise, he has the power to back it up. When God makes a promise, he has the power to back it up. I think that's the next slide, Trista. Thank you. And then we see that God's promises outweigh our perceptions of them. God spoke directly to them and said, I am giving you this land. Folks, what does God promise us today? God promises us peace in the midst of our storms. God promises us the capacity to love and the ability to forgive others. We receive eternal life from God. We receive His constant presence through His Holy Spirit. And through His Word, we receive life. In Proverbs 4, it says that we must pay attention to the words closely, to the sayings. Don't lose sight of them because they give us life. This book here gives us life. To the world, this is a history book with errors. To those that are not of faith, they see this as an outdated book. But for those that know the Lord and that are filled with the Holy Spirit, these are the pages to life. And they give life. Well, also we see that the Israelites sought the opinion of men over the command of God. I don't know if you knew this or not, Sending out spies was a pretty good idea, wasn't it? I mean, would you have done that? Of course you would have, because you're sitting there and you want to make sure before you commit to something that you have all the facts. It's kind of like uh, when you go to a pool and, and, you know, whether it's a heated pool or not, the first thing you always do, are you a jumper or a a toe tipper? All the toe tippers, raise your hand. All right. All the jumper enters. Okay. There you go. Some of you just like go for it, like, I'm going to get cold, I'm going to get over it. But for me, I'm like, and, and, and if, that, if that toe gets cold, I'm not going in. I'm not going in. And so I just want to test the water, so to speak, and make sure it's not going to be too cold. And then uh, before you know it, somebody comes along and pushes you in, and you're, you're in the water anyway, right? The Israelites here, we're just dipping the toes in the water. But you know what is amazing about this? Doing 
the spies, having the spies going to the promised land to scout it out, was not God's idea. Sending the spies was not God's idea. God's idea was this. Hey, this is your land. I prepared, prepared it for you. Go and get it and be courageous. But no, they must have been Baptist because they had to form a committee. They had to do some research. They had to get the opinions of 12 people and they had to bring it back to the group that they, they had to bring it back to them to approve whether they should go where God has already told them to go. How do we know it wasn't God's idea? Well, we can go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Just a book or two over, it says, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. says, I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord God is giving us. In verse 21, see the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession of it as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And then verse 22 says, Then all of you approached me and said, Let's send a man ahead of us. In other words, God says, I told you, take it, it's yours. But no, you come to me and say, yeah, let's send out a, a, a committee to go check it out first. Folks, have you ever talked yourself out of a blessing? Have you ever put yourself in a situation to where you doubted God, even though God has said you can have this, you can do this, it's going to take a little bit of effort, be strong and courageous, and you thought, yeah, I'm going to weigh my options. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to talk to a lot of other people. Folks, listen, there, there's, it is important to seek counsel from other people. It is important to pray about what God has asked you to do. But there is always a point to when God says go that you need to go. The Israelites, we are going to see, talk themselves out of a blessing. And we see that the spies were not sent to see if they were going in. They were actually sent to see how they were going in. Would they go in from the north, the south? Would they flank? Well, God said to be courageous and go. Folks, what he was asking for them was blind faith and obedience. Why? It's a, here's some irony. Why are we more afraid to jump on the blind... Excuse me. Why are we more afraid to jump out on blind faith with God's promise than to trust the opinions of others who are not God? Why is it that we put more faith in the group of they rather than God himself? God told him, go, get it. I'm with you. Be courageous. It's yours. Have at it. But yet, no. They had to sit around and talk about it and scout it out. Folks, we are trusting others who have observed and studied the stars rather than trusting the one who made the stars. What does this mean for you, and what does this mean for me? Now, you, the promised land... That's already been found, okay? But today, in this moment, as you sit in your pew, as you hear this message, what is God asking you to do that takes courage? If there's nothing, my question would be why? 
God is always asking His people to push further, to do, to do more things. Now, I, some of you are saying, Preacher, come on, I've lived my life, you're young, and you know this is for everybody else. No, it's not. Everything is relative. To one person, it might be going out and, and feeding in a homeless shelter. To another person, it might be giving a gift. To another person, it might be just getting up, calling someone on the phone, and encouraging them in their walk with Christ. It could be many things. Well, the second thing we see is that we need not put God in a box. Do not put God in a box. You ever heard that term? Don't put God in a box means don't make God fit your understandings. God is so much bigger than that. We see, let's look at verses 26 through 29 of chapter 13. It says, Then the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran in Kadesh. They brought back the report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And here we go. They, there's that word, they, they reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it was flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of its fruit. However, underline however, circle however, Take a, a big, paused look at the word, however. They have just said that the land is flowing with milk and honey. They have the fruit of the land in their hands. However, however, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Malachites are living in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. So it was a pretty bad situation, was it not? That would be much like if God was promising you the land today and he told you to go over there where, where ISIS has occupied everything and all these other nations that are, are warring and saying, look, you go to that. Listen, I don't, I don't want to throw the Israelites under the bus this was going to be a tough sell for them. Folks, there are things that God will ask you to do and ask me to do that are tough sells. Why didn't God just, I mean, <laughs> why didn't, when God gave them the promised land, why didn't he just kind of give them the keys and say, go on in and have nobody to, uh, to struggle with, nobody to fight, nobody to overcome? Why? The only thing I can think of is, is I remember there were a lot of my friends, and if you've done this, it's, I, I don't, this is not like a sin or anything, but, but some families have just given their kids cars. And, and, and if you've done that, that's great. Or if you've received one, I'm happy for you. But, but I was given a car, but I had to work for the insurance. Okay? I had to keep it up. If gas went into the car, it wasn't getting gas money from mom and dad. It was from the job that I had. I appreciated it a lot more because I had to work for it. God promised them the land of milk and honey. He promised them the promised land, but yet they were going to have to do some work. They were going to have to use some faith to claim it. Any great thing that God promises you this morning is going to take great faith. How could those spies be holding the fruit in their hand and yet say, however, there's a lot of people there that I'm scared. 
Well, we see in verses 26 through 28, folks, do not let the word however rob you of God's blessings. However, if you use the word however, you focus on the obstacles more than the God that has promised to give you what that is. If, if we say however, if we say, but God, what about this? Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, one of the tools of Satan is to make your obstacles seem bigger than God. That's the way he works. However may be the very word keeping you today from the fruit God has promised you. And then the third point, we see the hand of God versus the fear of man. Verses 30 through 33. Folks, I want you to understand something. Faith in God always takes an element of risk. There was a football game. Uh, it was in 1939. It was the Texas Tech Raiders and the Centenary Gentlemen. And they racked up an amazing, between the two teams, I'm not exaggerating, 77 punts. 77 punts. You know where they take the ball and they, they kick it, not when they go to the field goal, but just when they try to kick it down to the other end so that the team doesn't have, they, they have further to travel. 77 punts between the two teams. That's pretty impressive. The Texas Tech punted 39 times. The Centenary, they punted 38 times, both hitting the ball an all-time record list. But at the end of the game, Texas Tech, all of the yards they achieved was minus one. They didn't, they didn't get a single yard the whole game. Matter of fact, they lost a yard. And then the other team, they had a whopping 30 yards total. Folks, they sat there and they punted the ball back and forth, and they never took a risk. They never took a risk, and the score was zero. Nobody won. Nobody lost. Nobody took any risks. Folks, here's what it boils down to today. For you and your life, there are promises. Hang on with me. I, I promise you, we'll get there in just a minute. You'll be at that pot roast in no time. But, but hear me out. Believe, believe me. Hear me. Is that you have been placed before a promised land, and there are things that God is asking you to do, and you are tempted to make those things bigger than the God who has asked you to do it. Folks, if we come to church and we have our pep rallies and we do nothing to uh, further the gospel, if we do nothing to reach out to our community and reaching out to our friends, we're going to be just like these teams that are doing nothing but punting the football back and forth where nobody wins, nobody, nothing gets accomplished. Folks, this church and many churches like it are one generation away from dying. We have to wake up. We are at the, the promised land. And we can sit around and we can make excuses. And we can, we can you, you know, until, until the cows come home, we can talk about how all oh, the area has changed. Or I'm not what I used to be. Or, or there's other people that need to do that. Folks, don't talk yourself out of a blessing. Don't talk this church out of a blessing. 
Whether you are 5, 50, or 100, there is something God can call you to do. And we see that God has called two young men in this passage to take a stand. And that was Caleb and Joshua. We see that Caleb was willing to go against the crowd. They said, ten of the spies, they, they said that we couldn't do it. But Caleb stood strong. They didn't let the giants outweigh the perspective that God was greater. In closing, we see that God will notice those who stand in faith and those who do not. We go further into Numbers 14. And it says in verse 36, So the men Moses sent to scout out the land and who returned and incited the entire community to complain about him by spreading a negative report about the land. Those men who spread the negative report about the land were struck down by the Lord. They, the ten, were struck down by the Lord. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, remained alive of those men who sent to scout out the land. If they would have just believed what God had told them and not sent the spies and just went and fought and won and gathered what God has given them, they would still be alive. But because they were disobedient, because they took the blessings of God and said that it was too much for them to handle, those ten men were struck down. The negative report of ten men caused a nation to rebel against God. Those ten men caused that generation of Israelites to never see the promised land. Those ten spies talked the Israelites out of the promised land. If they would have just gone and taken the land when God commanded them. But no, they wanted to enter the promised land on their terms and in their way and with their understanding, not God's. So let me tell you today, you are standing before the promised land of what God wants in your life. God may, for some of you, He might have asked you to accept Him, to accept His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord. I mean, hey, you've been through the Easter season. We don't need to talk about that for another year, right? Oh, no. We always need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there is anyone that is lost and does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, that is their very first promised land that they need to take hold of. Maybe for you, you've got a spirit of defeat. You've let the age talk you out of a blessing. Or you have let the community that we live you in psych you out of the blessing. Maybe we think that the drugs and the crime and, and the deteriorating uh, situations in this community are too much for our church to handle. Folks, if we do that, we have talked ourselves out of the blessing. We are here for a reason, and God has called us to be here. So let me tell you this. What you see is what you get. If you see God as supreme ruler, and if you see as God is in control, you're in the same camp of Caleb and Joshua. But if you see God as 
failing, if you see the job as bigger than what you can handle, if you see this as something you need to check out and talk about and pray about and gather the opinion of the group called they, you're going to talk yourself out of a blessing. Caleb and Joshua saw God's promise. The ten saw every reason not to believe God at his word. What you see is what you get. It was the same situation. Understand, those ten, those twelve spies, they all saw the same thing. Every one of us here this morning, we are seeing the same picture. What you see is what you get, right? But in what perspective are you looking? Are you looking through God's eyes? God's perspective, or are you following the group called they? They say that this can't be done. People say, why do you go to that church? Why do you pastor that church? Why, why do you bother in that community? Everything's changed. Folks, God has not changed. Jesus Christ has not changed. And we need to make sure that we are a light in this community, and we need to make sure that, folks, there are things that need to be done around here. And people are offering every excuse in the world. You got an excuse for the reason you're not doing something the Lord's called you to do? I got a handful of people in this church. I will show you that if nothing else, they're doing everything they can, even if it's just grabbing a walker and coming to church. Nobody's too old. Nobody's too fat. Nobody's too skinny. Nobody's too rich. Nobody's too poor. There is room for God to work. We are at the cusp of the promised land. But what you see is what you get. If you do not see God working in your life today, then you're looking from the wrong viewpoint. Folks, dare to see you in your life today as God sees you. Do not let the word, however, creep into your vocabulary. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you that you have taught us, Lord, that you have a plan to prosper us, Lord, that you have a promised land for us to take, Lord. The Lord, our church is in this place for a purpose and a time, Lord. If it was not, the doors would be closed. You're not finished with us. So, Lord, I pray for our members that they would take this message they would honestly seek you and seek to have the faith of Caleb and Joshua and reject the other ten. The Lord, we need to be positive. We need to be proactive. And we need to count on the fact that you said you were going to bless this place. And Lord, we need to act on that. If there's someone that doesn't know you today as their Savior and Lord, I pray that they come forward. We'll lead them in a prayer that begins them on the journey. Lord, the the walking the aisle does not save them. It's the praying of the prayer. The walking the aisle signifies an intent. It shows that I'm forsaking all others and I'm trusting you, Lord. And I promise you, if there's someone here this morning that is wrestling with that decision, there are a bunch of people in this room that will celebrate with them. If that's you, come forward. If you'd like to join the church or you just have prayer at the altar, this invitation time is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.